This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. While Wisconsin put up a better fight than I think maybe many were expecting, they still lost, though, to Ohio State 24-10. There's the 10th straight loss against the Buckeyes. It dropped Wisconsin to... Five and three on the year, three and two in Big Ten play. I believe there's a four-way tie for first in the Big Ten West. Plenty to get to, obviously. Uh, Brain Locke's performance, uh, the injuries to Braylon Allen and Jim Ray DK and uh, the defense's performance. But, Jesse, I wanted to start with this because I, I know it was a, a question that you were asking a lot of the guys after the game last night. Based on what happened last year, right, you lose the way that they did 52 to 21. The game was 28, nothing before Wisconsin even crossed midfield. This one, obviously a four quarter game where they had a chance a couple of times to uh, go down for the tying score when it was 17 to 10 in the fourth quarter. Obviously they didn't get it done, but the question was how much further or how much closer were they to Ohio state? Are they to Ohio state than at this time last year? Uh, what kind of answers did you get? And, and what was your thought process and, asking those questions and and kind of what you got a response from those guys. Well, everybody remembers what happens last year, unless they have uh, temporary amnesia or selective amnesia, which you probably would want to. I mean, it wasn't nice. even close. <laughs> Wisconsin <laughs> was down four touchdowns before the offense even crossed midfield. And it was two programs that looked like worlds apart a varsity team and a, a pop Warner team. And I know Wisconsin generally has played Ohio state much better at home. We know Ohio State is always a measuring stick for Wisconsin and just to see where the Badgers stack up. I think a lot of the players would say, and and Tanner Bordellini was among them, he said it's definitely significant improvement from last year, but I don't think that makes anybody feel better. It feels like we should have been able to get it done and we didn't. So, I mean, Luke Fickle talked about it and, and I think he alluded to it earlier in the week, brought it up again after the game Saturday, just there needed to be inability for the players who were on the field last year to block out what happened to say whatever happened last year has no bearing on this year. And yet at the same time, it's kind of hard to get that out of your mind and what Ohio state has been and what Wisconsin has been. So I think they showed some good things, but I also think it's interesting because Wisconsin is a program. The Badgers don't want to be a program that has to settle for feeling like, well, we played well enough to give ourselves a shot late in a game. That's not why Wisconsin brought Luke Fickle here. That's not what Wisconsin wants to be about. But right now, when you when you compare where they were a year ago and where they're trying to go and how slow it's been, it does feel like perhaps a moral victory, even though Fickle doesn't want moral victories, if that makes sense. Look, the game was a one-score game in the fourth quarter, so you have to say that it was uh, a close game. But did you ever feel sitting there that Wisconsin was going to win it? Even after when it, you know they tied the game at 10-10 with the great no-look or whatever you want to call it, Braden Locke touchdown to Will Paul, and it's 10-10. And Ohio State goes right back down the field and scores a touchdown to yeah. take the lead back 17-10. Was there any moment there where you thought, hmm, Wisconsin's going to win this? I don't think there was a moment where I thought, oh, Wisconsin is going to win this. But there were several moments where I thought, oh, this game is a, a lot closer than it should be. And if Ohio State continues with its miscues and lets Wisconsin hang around, then maybe the Badgers can shock the world. I, I didn't. So I didn't have a moment where I said, oh, Wisconsin is going to do this. But you look at the defense getting three first half turnovers. Ohio State was able to move the ball, but continue to make mistakes. So we knew they had the most talented players on the field, but but the Badgers kept hanging around. So when it gets to 10-10 and you see Wisconsin go down the field on its opening drive in the third quarter and Braden Locke looks so cool, calm, and collected, throws the touchdown pass to Will Pauling, at least it's like, oh, they they, they have a legitimate shot here, and this is not just a pie-in-the-sky vision. Yeah, again – Ohio State had the two best players on the field on offense, right? Like it was Marvin Harrison Jr. As I said, I think I said it on Temple and Heilprin, maybe said it on the camp as well. 
he, he to me is the best skill player in the country. To two of the catches that I mean, two of the catches that he made, I mean, there were a lot of really impressive catches, but the two ones down the field, including the touchdown where Nizier Forkering was right there, and you know he still makes the catch for the touchdown to make it 17 to 10. It, those are just plays that nobody on Wisconsin's roster can make. And then getting Travion Henderson back was the difference. Ohio state's run game has not been very good this year, but with him in the backfield, making guys miss breaking tackles, getting some explosive plays, they had the two best players on the field. And so it always felt like whenever Ohio state needed to play, they were going to get it from one of those two guys. I don't, I, I think we talked about it on the way to the uh, walking back to the car lot, cars last night was, you know, I wasn't overly impressed with Kyle McCord, but no. because because of what they had at the two skill spots, it made all the difference in the world. And so I never felt like Wisconsin was going to to win it. They had some opportunities to at least put themselves in position there when you're down seventeen to ten and you get the ball a couple different times. But look, the, I mean, they were outgained four hundred seven to two fifty nine. Ohio State converted 50% of their third downs. Um, the defense gave up 10 explosive plays, according to Wisconsin's how they decide explosive plays, which is any play over 15 yards, whether it's a run or a pass. And, you know, take away the sack yardage now, Wisconsin's four, Wisconsin's five Big Ten opponents have run for at least 200 yards. It is, there are a lot of things that, yeah, gosh, you're right there, but then you just look at the numbers, it's like, game wasn't that actually that close. The only thing that made it close, obviously, was, as you mentioned, the Ohio State miscues and where they can continue to make those. Unfortunately for Wisconsin, they did not in the second half. They didn't turn the ball over in the second half. Hunter Waller said after the game that you've got to be darn near perfect to beat Ohio State, and he acknowledged that Wisconsin wasn't. But there's an alternate universe where the defense doesn't play out of its mind early in the game, and this is a blowout. Um, So... The defense, and I know we'll probably get into it, deserves a ton of credit for just playing its absolute butt off to give the Badgers a chance. But I think I mentioned this to you in the press box during the game. This kind of felt like a classic Wisconsin-Ohio State matchup over the last decade or so where Wisconsin is in the game and then Ohio State just puts on the afterburners and they realize they've got the best players on the field and they go to those best players and they cannot be stopped. I mean, this is the difference of in, in NFL, you know, a top wide receiver, a top player potentially in the NFL draft, one of the best running backs in the country was a five-star guy. And what Wisconsin had, you lose key playmakers. And it just, it's too much to overcome for Wisconsin. One Another thing that I think is worth noting, and I mean, I understand why people would be disappointed with this result, given that Wisconsin was in the game. Ohio State is just on a totally different planet, and they have been for more than a decade. So I think I've said this before over the years. This is not just a Wisconsin problem. This has generally been a Big Ten problem, although Michigan has managed to solve it the last couple of years. Ohio State, since 2012, is 90-6 and six against Big Ten teams in the regular season, which is just absolutely preposterous. So this is just kind of what it looks like right now, and it's unfortunate for the Badgers, and the they've got to figure out what they can do to just give themselves – in opportunity in future years. I mean, if, if you're looking for a silver lining, it's that they they played hard, they played tough, they seem to be really mentally engaged even after the loss, which is something that stood out to me in talking to these players. But all of that stuff doesn't make a difference when you get on the field and and the other team has more talent and is able to execute when it matters most. I thought this was we'll get in there's plenty of Twitter questions, but I thought this was at least worthwhile to bring up in this moment as we're talking about Ohio State. Um, an overreaction or no, that was the best opportunity to beat Ohio State that Wisconsin will have for the foreseeable future. Because obviously a home game at night against a young quarterback who gave them multiple chances or multiple turnovers, I should say. Um, I'm inclined to say it's an overreaction. I, I, I think... You know, we also have to realize that Wisconsin as a program is is not where it potentially could be in a few years when Luke Fickle has more time, when these players are in this system longer. So this is still the beginning of the journey, if you will, for where Wisconsin could be as a program under Fickle. Ohio State is going to be a premier program basically any year that Wisconsin plays the Buckeyes. And yes, there's a younger quarterback there. They still had a ton of talent. I don't think this was the best chance that Wisconsin is going to have, but 
these opportunities are few and far between. And and like we talked about before, we saw why this game would have been one of the most epic and significant regular season wins for Wisconsin program history because of how good Ohio state is and, and what that would have meant for the Badgers. But we also saw why Wisconsin wasn't able to get it done. Again, it, it wasn't, I don't, that's not an overwhelming Ohio state team. Uh, they have over uh, a few overwhelming players mm-hmm. that stood out, but the chances that Wisconsin was on a, like you mentioned having to play a perfect game. I don't necessarily know if they had to play a perfect game. They had to play a little bit. They had to play better than they did. They had to play. Uh, they couldn't have had the drops. They couldn't have the penalties. They couldn't have getting stopped at the one yard line just before half. Like they're though. Like those aren't. That's not playing perfect. That's just playing um, football and, and playing good football. And they couldn't do it. And so I, I don't necessarily think it's an overreaction. I think that was an amazing chance for them. Based mm-hmm. on uh, based on the way the game was, now they'll get Ohio State at home in 2025. Based on every other game that they've played against Ohio State, pretty much for the last 20 years at home, it's probably going to be a night game. Outside of the 2012 one, they all have been. So, and, and who knows who's playing quarterback for them, and who knows what Wisconsin looks like. But to me, to me, this was their best chance because I don't think it's an overwhelming Ohio State team like. 20 like last year 2022's Ohio State team much in my opinion better than this one now their defense maybe not their defense last night was obviously quite good um and it has it's a better group than it was last year but it, it's it's not an overwhelming offensive team and when they don't have that those games are going to be close and it's going to come down to a few plays and I think that's what happened last night so yeah it was a, a huge missed opportunity so I don't think it's an overreaction to say that that's their uh, that was their best chance for the foreseeable future. But again, we don't know what this team looks like in two years. We don't know what this team looks like next year. Uh, <laughs> that's just what it is. But yeah, Wisconsin had its opportunities, could not get it done. Uh, but let's let's get into some of the things that that went on. The I, I said this, and maybe people will disagree, but I think it was the turning point of the game, maybe the biggest play, play of the game. And I know it was ten ten uh, after this, but. Braylon Allen, third and one. They go and try and do the shovel pass to him. He gets stuffed the goal line, and he gets hurt. I thought that that when you lost Braylon, you lost your true, true playmaker in the backfield. And, you know, Jackson Aker was fine after that. But losing Braylon, you already don't have Chaz, already don't have Tanner Mordecai. You lost Chimray DK on a kickoff. It was just, um, I, th- I thought that that was the play of the game for them. I don't yeah, know if you agree or disagree with that. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think that series and that sequence in general was just absolutely massive. You get first yeah. and goal at the one yard line against Ohio State, and you absolutely have to punch it in because how many more chances are you going to get to be that close to the end zone? And they didn't. They that whole sequence was was interesting. They went under center and. Braden Locke threw the short pass to Skylar Bell and it looked like, wow, that's that's great. They got the touchdown. And and on replay, Bell's knee was down, so it went for no yards. Then Braylon gets stuffed up the middle. And then they do that shovel pass. And which I think did they do that against Illinois? And it was it went for a nice gain, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was a third down conversion. They've done um, it a couple times this year. And and obviously he gets stuffed for no gain and gets hurt. And then you put yourself in a position where it's Jackson Aker. And I mean, he had nine carries for 34 yards, which is not awful. 3.3.8 yards per carry. But there's a reason why Braylon has 3000 plus rushing yards in his career and why he's considered to be one of the better tailbacks, certainly in the league. It's a big drop off. And they, they found themselves in a spot where they get backed up on a drive to their seven yard line. They put Cade Yacomelli in and, through no fault of Yakim, at least uh, there was nobody blocking <laughs> somebody coming off the edge, but he got stopped for four yards. That was the only carry that he got. It's just, it's kind of a worst case scenario for this Wisconsin offense. Not even kind of it is you lost your, your most explosive playmakers in the backfield. And now you're relying on your number three and your number four, your number three was a fullback last year and your number four who had not taken a carry at all this season. So Wisconsin, last year. right. Yeah. Wisconsin was hamstrung. Um, you know, would they have won the game? 
I don't know, but you certainly give yourself a better opportunity. If you've got your key playmakers, you see the difference when Ohio state gets guys back and Henderson had been out, comes back. And I mean, Braylon still finished with 10 carries for 50 yards. He averaged five yards a carry had a nice 11 yard run. So I don't think it's an overstatement to say that that was perhaps the, the most significant play largely because of what it meant moving forward for Wisconsin. And I, I, I have to give the Badgers credit for that opening drive. I mean, I know, when you get 10 points, you only score one touchdown. It's probably a lot easier to find uh, the single drive that went well. But to not have Chimray, to not have Braylon, and and for them to go down and get a touchdown right out of the gates there just to give themselves a chance was really impressive. But you're not going to be able to beat Ohio State by doing that just once. Again, I'm I'm a big four-speed Braylon, excuse me, uh, Bryson Green guy. And that first play to start that drive – was was kind of the physicalness that we the, maybe that was talked about leading into the year, you know, breaking some tackles, getting the big gain, and it kind of jump starting that that drive to start the second half. So, but moving forward, it, again, we don't know how badly Braylon Allen is hurt. He was in a walking boot afterwards. Luke Fickle didn't have an update. I guess based on him, you know, kind of needing help, like he, he was able to limp. He was limping off the field. He was very very slow towards the tunnel at halftime and eventually he had two guys, you know, kind of pick him up and help him get him off the field faster. So he was not in a good spot. It it seems uh, not a doctor here, but it seems like maybe he will be unavailable this Saturday. And now you're going Jackson, you got Katie Ocamelli and Grover Bortolotti are three running backs that have played in a game. Now, Nate white. I know some people were asking about him and as part of the Twitter questions, if he was ready, he would have played last night. You know what I mean? It's not. I don't think they're trying to hold his hold his red shirt. Now again, they only have four games left here in the regular season, so technically they could play him now and, and not burn the red shirt. But I don't think that uh, is an issue for them. If he was ready and he was going to help them win a game last night, he would have been out there. I don't think he's ready. So they have some. They have a major concern in the backfield. And again, Indiana. Can't, has not been very good against the run, been a pretty good pass and uh, pass defense, but haven't been able to stop the run very much. I'm interested to see how Wisconsin goes about trying to attack that. Maybe different guys. Uh, I don't know how they're going to attack it, but that's irrelevant. What does this offense look like now without Mordecai, without Chesman Lucy, potentially without Braylon Allen, potentially without uh, Chimray Dike, who was trying to come back. He was running around on the sideline in the second half. He was trying to get back in there, but they didn't. They never actually did put him back out there. What does this offense look like going forward? Well, it's going to be one that you would think has to lean on Braden Locke in the passing game a little bit more. And I know the stats can be skewed a bit when you are trailing, but you, you don't have Braylon. They ended up with 25 carries, and a couple of those were Braden Locke sacks. They passed the ball 39 times. So, and I, I guess in part, I think. I can get caught up in with a ratio. And even when I've asked Luke Fickle about this and Phil Longo said the same thing, they don't look at it in terms of run pass ratio. They look at it in terms of yardage. So if it takes X number of pass plays to get to 250 yards and X number of run plays to get to 250, that's the balance that they look at. But just in terms of how the distribution and the play calls are going to go, I, I it's difficult for me to see a situation where you, you got to rely on the ground game and Jackson Akers carrying the ball 29 times like Braylon did last week. Now, if they, if you don't have Braylon, you may not have much of a choice. And Aker has had some good moments, but I don't know what it looks like because the problem here is it'd be one thing if we were talking about wide receivers that were playing to the level that we thought they were going to play at when we saw preseason practices or spring ball. They really haven't, at least consistently. I mean, some of that is... I mean, Braden Locke is a young quarterback, but there are times where he gives them a chance. And as you've indicated in previous games, you've got to give your quarterback a chance. And there were times where they just did not against Ohio State. So it's hard for me to say exactly what it looks like. But what I can tell you is if they don't have Braylon, while they already don't have Chez, it's not a good situation for the offense. It's a really, really tough situation for an offense that right now, is averaging 24 point, I think it's uh, 24.8 points per game um, on offense. Do you know where that would rank in the last, 
What's the last team you think's averaged fewer points than that? Wisconsin team that's averaged fewer points than that. Well, you know the answer, don't you? Um, I, I do know that last week in the story that I wrote ahead of the Ohio State game, and they were averaging like what twenty six point nine or something like that. Yeah. That would have ranked last year. That would have ranked twenty fifth in program history. So uh, it's been a while. I, didn't they? It's been a while since they were under twenty five a game. I thought it was pretty recent. Didn't they have back to back seasons where they were under twenty five a game? Uh, or am I am I uh, mistaken on that? You know what? I keep my <laughs> Wisconsin fact book with me because I'm a nerd next to me, and I don't so, think I have time to stall to find it. So why don't you just tell me? I, I already. I mean, I, I already did look at it. Um, <laughs> so last year was last year was twenty six point three. The year before yeah. that, twenty five point four and then 25.1, you have to go all the way back to 2004 mm. to find a team that averaged less than they're averaging right now, which is 20.8. So um, now you're doing it without your best players. <laughs> I, and again, I the defenses that they're going to play down the stretch, Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota, are not poor defenses. Um, you know, you look at, just in total defense, Nebraska's fifth in the conference, Minnesota's seventh, Northwestern's tenth, Indiana's twelfth. But that they are, I think Nebraska's defense is certainly improving um, on a on a regular basis. They're giving up eighteen point six points per game. Minnesota's giving up twenty two. Um, Northwestern's at twenty six. Indiana's at the bottom at twenty nine point eight. But when you don't have your playmakers in the backfield, it makes so it makes things so much more difficult because they do want to, again, they, this is the air raid. I get that, but they do want to be able to run the ball and they've done it at times effectively this year. But now, you know, that was with Chaz and Braylon. Now you don't have, then you didn't have Chaz. Now you don't have Chaz or Braylon. You're going to be turning to a, a former fullback to be your lead back likely. Um, and guys on the outside that have not necessarily made the, made their quarterback better. Uh, in large stretches this year. I thought Bryson Green had a good game last night. I thought uh, Will Pauling probably uh, w- wants maybe a two two uh, catches back, or I should say two plays back, where he could have had catches, first down catches but couldn't hold on to the ball. Braden, I mean, Braden Locke overthrew him on a couple of them. But I think the one guy that you look at and made some amazing plays against uh, Illinois but did not come up with the big plays that he needed to yesterday, and that was Skylar Bell. And there were opportunities for him to late that game to make catches, put Wisconsin in either third and short or fourth and short, and he couldn't do it. And those drops have been, uh, I don't want to say a consistent theme, but a, an unfortunate theme for him. And I know you have the you have better data than I do to back that up, just in terms of being able to look at drops through Pro Football Focus. And I know those numbers are not the great like they're not uh, necessarily how Wisconsin would grade their players but the way that Skylar Bell um played against Illinois to come back and he talked about how the confidence that he gained from that catch late in the Illinois game to come back and the play so, and have some of the drops that he did on Saturday against Ohio State has to be disappointing um do you have those numbers I do. Um, <laughs> so thanks for talking long enough for me to find them. Yeah. Uh, People get that now, right? You guys you understand why I'm babbling there. Cause I, I say, I say something and I know Jesse's going to go look it up. So I'm looking at the pro football focus numbers, which include all the games to date. And according to their statistics, and those may not be official statistics, but either way, they, they do a pretty good job. Skyler has the most drops on the team, which probably doesn't surprise anyone. He has six drops this season. And Will Pauling is second with four. Then you've got Hayden Rucci, Chimray DK with three. And Tucker Ashcraft has two, and a couple other guys have one. So that's a problem, no doubt about it. He acknowledged that he hadn't played up to his standards after the Illinois game, but and late, I think, I mean, they went to Vinny Anthony late, right? In the slot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what you do other than because he's got the talent. It's just, you've got to be able to rely on your guys consistently, especially in games like that. When you know, the opportunities for success are so limited. If you get a shot, you got to take advantage of it. Yeah. You have to, you got, you have to hold guys accountable. And if you're not going to, if you're going to drop the ball and again, he's not trying to drop the ball. This isn't that. This is this. Maybe this is the Paul Christ in me. Like it's. Uh, he's not trying to drop the ball. He's not trying to hold a guy. He's not trying to get called for a penalty. 
remember that's what whenever you would criticize a guy with Paul Chris, that's that's kind of like it'd be like a, a mental mistake or a physical mistake. It's like, oh, he's not trying to do this. Well, I, I understand he's not trying to do it, but you have to make plays. You're in, you're a division one wide receiver. And I know Braden Locke, especially on the touch on the touchdown that was taken off the board, blamed himself for that throw being a little bit low, forcing Skyler to go down and get it. That's that is that's one thing. But some of the other balls that were right where they needed to be and for him not to hold on. Uh, disappointing, I think, for that receiver room that we thought was going to be better than maybe uh, it has been to this point. So, um, that was another. I mean, that was another Twitter question that I got from um, that. That was another Twitter question that I got from the folks. Is you know this wide receiver room? Is it worse? Is it better? Then what? I mean, it's obviously not better than what we thought it was going to be. Is it worse yeah. than what we thought it was going to be? Yes. Because <laughs> like you could be like you could be like oh well they're about they're about the same. I mean they're about they're about what we thought they're going to be. They're not. No, they're not. And uh, to me, I feel like I still feel like the talent is there, and maybe people are rolling their eyes. It's obviously in part the lack of execution, but I certainly thought C.J. Williams would have a bigger impact. We've seen Bryson Green have his moments. I mean, you look at these numbers. He was targeted nine times against Ohio State. He caught two of them. So this, and we do this every year. I get it. We talk about, oh, maybe this is the year that the wide receivers are going to do something special or be a little bit different. And we say that after watching them go against the defense and they haven't played an actual game together. It definitely felt like this was going to be the year that something was different because we're, we're not, I promise we're not making it up when, when we say that they were coming up with these plays where you would just kind of shake your head and be like, Oh, I haven't seen that at Wisconsin in a while, but it just has not materialized on a consistent basis here this year outside of Will Pauling. I would say Will Pauling has, he has exceeded my expectations, even though I thought coming into the season, he would end up leading the team in receptions. Every other wide receiver you could make the case has, um, fallen short of expectations. And again, those are expectations that are set on the outside. They're not expectations they put on themselves, but they also come in here thinking that they're going to be able to achieve something great. And I can't, I, I, it's safe to say you cannot say that about any other wide receiver other than what Will Pauling has given Wisconsin on a consistent basis. Yeah. Again, when I, when I said feed Bryson green earlier in the show, I meant throwing the ball his way. He did get targeted nine times. Um, as you mentioned, he only had two catches, but they went for 46 yards. Will Pauling obviously targeted nine times, and that probably will continue to be the case because he's your slot receiver. You can keep on throwing the ball to him. But, yeah, they haven't. I mean, th- that's just – that's being fair. Now, yesterday they were kind of forced into – like we've seen the rotation on the outside when Chimray DK was out there. It would kind of be a three-man rotation between, uh, you know, C.J. Williams and DK and – Bryson Green, and when DK went down, it was Bryson Green and C.J. Williams out there pretty much the entire time. So there's there's no rotation past that top two, which is not, I don't think, what Phil Longo had in mind coming into the year. He wants to be able to rotate guys. He wanted, what, seven guys, six, seven guys that could use. And and last night, until, until Bell started dropping it, it was four. It was Will Pauling, it was Bell, it was, it was Green, and it was C.J. Williams. And then, obviously, they threw Vinny Anthony in there at the end. They don't necessarily maybe have the depth that they thought that they were going to come into the year. Injuries and, obviously, a transfer of uh, Keontas Lewis kind of has has changed that a little bit. But it's, I think it's it's easily fair to say that they have not matched what we thought they were going to be able to do. Um, the... Is there anything else you want to hit on offensively? I, well, uh, decision making, decision making by Luke Fickle. Yeah, fifty-four, the fifty-four yard field goal from Nathaniel Vakos in the first half. Poor decision. Well, he said it was, so I'm going to go with him. He said he put him in a a really difficult situation, which he did. Um, on the other hand, I mean, what do you do? Do you go for it? Do you punt? I mean, it, it was what was it? I'm going to look it up right now. So it was fourth and ten at the Ohio State thirty-six. I mean. They had not had a ton of success. So you do you pooch punt it and try to to back them up inside the ten? I, I don't I don't know. I mean, obviously you miss it, so they get the ball where they would have had you gone for it, not in 
not gotten it, but it's a big ask at 10 yards against Ohio state. Yeah. Would he have gotten booed if he had punted it? Probably. Cause he got booed or later in the game when it was fourth and one and they were inside their own territory and uh, they decided to punt it. Uh, the other decision and, and Luke fickle beats himself up on these decisions. Obviously the one decision that he, I don't think he was beating himself up on was the field goal before halftime. It didn't, right. I mean, he, he had made the decision pretty early on that that's what was going to happen if they got in that situation. He said it was really important for them to get some points. And um, it's interesting because in the Iowa game, and I <laughs> believe we talked about this, but one of the things he said was, you're not going to win football games kicking field goals, right? Um, and yet they they kicked the field goal. Look, they, they got points. You had just lost Braylon Allen to an injury, although he said that was not a factor in his decision. Um, obviously it had happened on the previous play, but you had three chances to, to get it in from the one. I don't know. I, hindsight is always 2020 again. And like I said before, how many chances were you going to get against Ohio state where you've got the ball at the one on the other hand, who are you going to give the ball to that? You would feel pretty confident you'd be able to score. So it's, this is what the armchair quarterbacks of the world are for. That isn't necessarily what lost the game, but you certainly would have felt a lot better if you scored a touchdown there to close the half and and it's 10 to 7. You take issue, uh, as apparently 90% of the world does, to having been going in shotgun from the one-yard line? This is really hard because if you're going to have an identity, then have your identity. I thought it was interesting that they went under center with that for the play that ended up being the the pass to Skylar Bell, which in the moment looked like a great call because they scored, except that they didn't score because his knee was down. This is who they are. Um, I think it's hard. I think it's hard for most people to wrap their head around what this means because of what Wisconsin's identity has been for so long. And frankly, if you had the ball at the one yard line and you were watching Wisconsin play, you felt pretty confident they were going to be able to punch it in. I, I don't know. I, I it's it's um it's really hard to wrap my head around just all these, all these changes and and what they mean for Wisconsin. I think it is for the fans too. But again, if this is what you're going to be, then go be that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, what, one more thing, the, the, obviously the turnover by Braylon Allen at midfield after Wisconsin had gotten the stop on fourth and three. And obviously the, this, the sack fumble by CJ gets, Ohio State gets the ball at midfield, goes down and scores. Mm -hmm. And then the punt that, you know, went to midfield, uh, a, a poor punt from Atticus, Atticus Bertrams leads to a, the, the first touchdown for Ohio State. I thought the field position, especially in the first half and then in the fourth quarter, were so huge in this game. When you think, when well, you, I mean, when you, when you think about, when you think about this, the, the way that they, we're able to move the ball in the first quarter. I'm talking about or the first half for Ohio State. Their two drives, their two best drives, were ones that were set up by that fumble and a short punt. And then this, and then the fourth quarter, Wisconsin, you know, feel, felt like they had flipped the field. They get down, they 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 move the ball from what the ten something like that, right around the midfield. They punt it. It's down inside the, uh, like the fifteen, and then Trayvon Henderson breaks that run to the outside and all of a sudden the field is flipped back around and it puts Wisconsin in a situation where they're having to go the length of the field after getting the stop a field position, especially in the first quarter, first half ish. And in the fourth quarter, huge. You look at Wisconsin's starting drives and three of the last four drives for the Badgers. And these were all in the second half. <laughs> they had the ball. They started at their own seven at their own nine at their own 11. And the other one was, it was at their own, 25 because that was a, a kickoff, but reminiscent of the Iowa game. Yes. It's, it's hard enough to beat Ohio state without having to go 90 yards to score. On the other hand, they had three chances in the first half where they got the ball because of the defense playing great in a very good position. And they had, they had one where they started it at their own 41. They had the one where they started it at the Ohio state 36 because Jim Ray DK returned it. 35 yards. And then they had another one where they started it near midfield. They were at their own 48. So yeah, the field position late in the game was not ideal. Those that's going to happen against Ohio state, which is why it's so vital to take advantage of those few opportunities you get where you are in scoring position. And that's kind of the story of the game to me is when Wisconsin had its chances, I mean, 
if if any fan would have heard that Wisconsin would win the turnover battle and the Badgers would force three takeaways in the first half, you would have been blown away by that. If you yeah. would have known Wisconsin would have gotten just three points off of that, then you would have thought, well, there's no way Wisconsin's going to win because those are the best chances you're ever going to have against Ohio State. Ohio State's scoring three of the four scoring drives. They started at the 44, their own 44, then their own 48, and then Wisconsin's 45. Two of those came off a punt. The other one came off a turnover. You're asking a lot they, of your defense, yeah. right? That's you're right. Asking your, you're asking a lot of your defense in that situation, and they uh, they came up a number of times, but eventually, eventually, it's not going to go your way, and it didn't go their way. So uh, defensively for Wisconsin, they forced three turnovers. Ricardo Hallman continues to have a fantastic season. I mean, yes. the, the play that he made on the interception – was just a, a great drive in the ball and it was in zone and they were able to, you know, eyes back to the quarterback, make a play on him. And, and they, they had a lot more success with zone than, than man, though there were again at times breakdowns, even in the zone, but that was a great play by Ricardo Hallman and, and a lot of big time plays from the defense, nine tackles for loss, four sacks. They made a, a big number of plays. They also gave up too many big plays. They did. On the other hand, I, I look at it like they they did everything they could to give Wisconsin a chance. And yes, they gave up three touchdowns. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to get his. He, the, the touchdown against Nizir Forkurian is like, what are you going to do? It's almost one of those, you throw your hands up, right? You get, you, you can watch that replay and it looked like Forkurian's hand was blinding Harrison like it was in his face mask. And if you're going to go and make that play, then tip your cap. And obviously the one over the middle... Harrison sprung loose and Henderson had the touchdown, but Wisconsin's defense made enough plays to, to keep Ohio state on its toes, to make the Buckeyes feel uncomfortable. And you mentioned nine tackles for lost four sacks and Hallman had the pick. And earlier in the game, he had a great pass breakup in the end zone where he was defending yeah. Marvin Harrison jr. So he's been outstanding. He's got five interceptions this year, which leads the league. Um, so, you know, it's hard to put any of this really on the defense, even though certainly late in the game, it's a one possession game. You need the defense to hold up. They can't do it. But like they were on the field so much. <laughs> it ended up the time of possession ended up being Ohio State had it for almost 35 minutes. And Wisconsin had it for about 26 minutes. So, I mean, Ohio State ran 69 plays. I know Wisconsin ran 64, but when you've got an offense that's that explosive and you're out there for 69 plays, they're going to be somewhere you you don't have your best performance, but overall I, I was just so impressed with the way they performed to give Wisconsin a chance. Yeah, it was, it was, I think it was a step in the right direction for them for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and and I'm, I'm saying that after Ohio state got 470 yards of total offense, which it's like, <laughs> that's just, that's Ohio state for you, man. It is Ohio State. It is Ohio State. And again, I'm going to keep on coming back to the idea that I don't think this is as an explosive that an Ohio State team is, but when you put those two, Marvin Harrison, Travion Henderson, on the field together, um, that offense is a much better version of uh, the offense that we've seen from Ohio State this year. That was um, very, very impressive. And it gives them, I think, it gives them a, a very good chance going forward of not just winning the Big Ten, but having a chance, having a chance at uh, you know, winning a national title We'll see how that Michigan game goes because, um, yeah, we'll see how the Michigan game goes because Michigan's defense is giving up five, like five points a game right now. That, uh, yeah, a little good. insane, little insane. Uh, best Halloween right. outfit, by the way. Got us, got to give yes. a shout out. Yes. The best Halloween costume, and you know, it was wild at Camp Randall Stadium. The Jumbotron was panning, and they found the guy. And I know they do this probably in every stadium this weekend because it's an easy, it's an easy laugh. But he had the Michigan gear on and he had a fake camera. Uh, I love it. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was great. It was great. You're right. It probably has, um, probably is everywhere, everywhere, uh, this, this weekend and next weekend, probably. Um, all right, let's get into, uh, some of these, these Twitter questions. A lot of Phil Longo, I don't want to call it hate, but maybe, uh, dislike with, with some of the questions. Um, Salvador says, and this one actually drew some responses from other people. There's a little bit of a fight in my mentions last night, but he said, mm. what, was Luke, what was Luke Fickle thinking hiring Phil Longo? 
Well, I know we've asked Luke about that, and he said it was less about scheme and more about people and the relationships that they had. Obviously, almost hired him or tried to hire him at Cincinnati, and it didn't work out. He has a track record of success. I'm not I'm not going to look. We know what this year has been. It has not come anywhere close to meeting expectations. I think Phil Longo would tell you that as well. And of course, when we had a chance to talk to him last week, he also wanted to tell you that some of the top playmakers haven't been available. And that has been a challenge as well. But it's eight games and. I want to see what this looks like in subsequent years. I want to see what it looks like next year. And I don't know what the roster is going to look like or how significantly they'll attack the portal in key positions. I'm, I'm not going to pan the hiring right now. He, he he has had success other places. It's just proven to be way more challenging at Wisconsin with the personnel. And, and I don't want to make an excuse about the injuries because it's not like they were blowing, you know, everybody um, blowing past everybody when, when people were healthy, but I think this just needs more time. And that's unfortunate for people who are so excited. Look, losing, uh, I, I know we've talked about it. I'm going to continue to harp on it. Losing Chess Malusi was is the biggest loss by far. You can say th- things if you want about Tanner Mordecai. I could say about Braylon Allen. Losing Chess Malusi was sign- like huge. He was very, very good in this offense. Very, very good in this offense. And they miss him more than I think anybody. May- well, I, maybe people did realize how much they would miss him when he went out. But um, they miss him hugely. Huge. I mean, it's off the charts how much they miss him in this offense. They need a type of player like him at running back, and they don't have it right now. Uh, Braylon's fine. He's not, but he's not the explosiveness that Ches and Lucy brings to it. So they certainly miss that. Um, Ryan, uh, our guy, Ryan wing says, uh, why not go to Trey wedding full-time at guard? I assume, you know, they, yeah, that's the question. Because they like Joe Huber and Michael Furtney. I mean, they were they were using a rotation, and then in the Illinois game, they just they didn't use a rotation. Fickle talked about it afterward that he wanted to see what the top group had for the first few series, and because he liked the way things were headed, and they didn't use them at all. And Wisconsin won that game. So, I mean, I I don't know. Obviously, we haven't had a chance to talk to Jack McNeil Jr. since the preseason. But did you find it to be that significant of a difference if? It was Huber or Fertney and, and Weddick wasn't in. I mean, I, w- I watched Trey Weddick last year struggle at guard. So maybe things are different this year. My, I continue to be very, very surprised that Joe Brunner can't find a way on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I know that's probably a result of recruiting rankings more than anything in my mind, but that he, that he has not played significant snaps in any game in his first three years with the program is just, I shouldn't say any snaps. I guess he did get a snap against Oklahoma State uh, on a touchdown and flattened his guy. But there has to be something there that just isn't matching up because they have a he's he's a four star recruit, right? And Luke, uh, excuse me, um, JP Benchels, four star recruit. You got Nolan Ruchi, a five star recruit. You have a whole bunch of guys sitting behind the offensive line right now, and none of them able to crack into the starting into the offensive line uh, rotation. That is a, a, a bit surprising, but Joe Brunner probably more so than anything. In terms of Trey Wedding, I, I don't know that there's a huge difference between any of these guys, to be honest with you. Um yeah. and I, I so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say that he needs to be in there. I, I will say I don't think Michael Furtney's been great. Um but I'm not an offensive line expert. So I'll I'll leave that to people that actually can grade and understand offensive line better than me. Brunner's a redshirt freshman, so I mean he's got oh, a lot of me, time. Too. Two years in the pro- no, he's he's a reg- he played as a true freshman last year. Is that right? He played he played in four games, so he he got the redshirt. Um, okay, okay, all right, that's my bet. That's my bet. Either way, I figured at some because of his pedigree coming in that he would be able to force his way onto the field. And he hasn't been able to do it yet. Maybe I, okay, maybe I'm a little too fast with that. Thank you very much for pulling me back down. But I'm talking about significant snaps. Like in, yeah. in meaningful action. The bowl game, I think, is the only time that he played when the game was still in doubt. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying by that. Like he hasn't played any meaningful snaps in the first two years with the program. Again, maybe a little bit of overreaction by me, and that's fine. Uh Trap says, describe Cade Yacomelli's run style. <laughs> will uh, will they need him to uh, will they need him to contribute? 
<laughs> well, if Bray, if Braylon Al isn't healthy, they're going to need him to contribute in some capacity. That That's why he went out there to start a series with Wisconsin backed up at its own seven. His running style from what we've seen, it's speed, but he's got some physicality to him. Like he is yeah. built if you're up close to him. I mean, it's not like, I don't know. We, I we saw the, shifty. The, yeah, we saw the 40 times or whatever, and he was among the faster types of players, but he's got a different body type than I think what you would envision somebody where you would say they're a burner and they're, you know, four, three, eight speed or something like that. So I think it's a little bit of a combination, but that is something that he thinks can help him. And also he thinks his pass catching ability can potentially help him. And I don't know how much Wisconsin would use him in that capacity, but he basically played everywhere as a high school player. So that's some of what we've seen, but that was his first carry in a college game and kind of welcome to college football moment where a guy's coming off the edge and blows it up for a four yard loss. Certainly not an ideal situation to walk into. No. <laughs> right. Um, Mark says, I don't really understand this new regime and how it uses its roster. There's so little rotation substitution at most of the positions. Is that intentional or is the cupboard so bare from the last staff that they don't feel comfortable with more than 30 guys? I thought defensively they are rotating significantly. We're seeing guys on the field and off the field. They're using four safeties. They're using three inside linebackers. They're using five, four guys at outside linebacker. We know they're using a ton of guys along the defensive line. Cornerback has kind of been a either a Nizier Forkering or an Alex Smith along with Ricardo Holman and obviously Jason Matry in the slot. Offensively is, is maybe where it's a little bit different, but I, they're still using – three tight ends and five wide receivers and six offensive linemen. So I don't, I don't know that they haven't necessarily been moving guys in and out. Yeah. To me, when I heard the question, I thought it had to be more about the offense because defensively, like you laid out, I mean, fickle said before they wanted to play eight defensive linemen. They have been rolling through a lot of guys at a lot of different positions. You're certainly hamstrung in part by these injuries. I think one thing that's worth noting, and we haven't talked about it yet, I briefly mentioned it in my story, but the tight end crew in general, just they're not giving Wisconsin a ton. There was there were some encouraging signs early from Tucker Ashcraft. Um, I mean, they're, they're starting Riley Nowakowski, who obviously is converted to the position. There's Hayden Rucci. I, I don't know how much difference it would have made, but I mean, what if you had Jack Pugh? And, and what if what if Clay Cundiff decided to come back and keep playing? I know those are all what ifs, but that is a position group that Phil Longo has traditionally really liked to utilize and certainly did last year at North Carolina. And they're just not getting very much out of that position. So something I just wanted to mention, but I mean, if other guys were good enough to play, they'd be playing, right? That's why the rotations are what they are. And that's why we're seeing who we're seeing. We did see very briefly. And I think Fickle mentioned after the game at wide receiver, uh, Quincy Burroughs, I looked and he had three snaps. So maybe depending on what happens with Chimray DK, he could play more, but it was encouraging at least to see Chim Ray trying to get back in the game. I mean, he was he was really getting after it on the sideline, trying to warm up and push himself to get in. So, you know, it wasn't a situation like with Braylon where he, he had to be in a boot. Yeah. Uh, I, I meant to add this one when we were talking about why why was Phil Longo hired? Um, because uh, J- Jaron asked me to, to put this in the podcast. I'm going to put this in the podcast. He says, Jesus Christ, you people are insufferable. This team hung with the number three team in the nation without its best quarterback, running back, and wide receiver until there was five minutes left in the game. A few years from now, you'll be claiming you called it all along. So <laughs> I just I, I wanted to get that in there because uh, I I should have uh, been before. Uh, that said, when he talks about missing their best quarterback, Braden Locke, an absolute gamer, according to Ian. Why have two drives with three straight runs? I believe that came after the, their touchdown drive. Let the man do his thing. <laughs> what would you what would you say about Braden Locke's performance? Obviously, he I mean he was eighteen of thirty nine, so he completed forty six percent of his passes, one hundred and sixty five yards, a touchdown, had that really nice uh, design draw that set up uh, their their uh, their lone touchdown. He can continues to impress me with some of the first of all some of the placement of his passes. There was an absolute dime on the the corner to uh, Bryson Green. It was a great play by him, a great catch, but a great throw. He, he's made a couple of those throws, and if his guys would make some plays for him, I think the numbers look even better. How would I assess his performance against Ohio State? Well, it was up and down and uneven, which a lot of quarterbacks have had. I continue to be impressed by the guy because he he doesn't 
he doesn't look like a redshirt freshman when he's out there. He's got a lot of confidence. We've talked about the poise that he had. I go back to that touchdown drive that he helped to lead, but I don't know. It's, I feel like this is a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, right? Like you, you I mean, if you put it in his hands and you're only going to throw, I mean, if you have, if you have a couple incompletions, then you're in a situation where it's third and ten, and and Ohio State's just going to tee off on you. I, I I'm looking at the drives, and I think the one that he's specific specifically referencing is after Ohio State took the 17-10 lead, Wisconsin got the ball to its own 25 with 7:14 left in the third quarter, and they went running play to Jackson Acre up the middle. Six yard gain, running play to Acre to the right, two yard gain, running play up the middle, one yard gain, and so then it was fourth and one, and they punted the ball. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, it's tough for me to sit here and say like they should abandon the run game even if Braylon is out and just exclusively go to the pass because again we're talking about a game where Locke completed fewer than I mean he's completed forty six percent of his passes so. They were trying to get something going. I don't know what the answer is, but I have certainly been impressed with him early on. I don't know yet whether this means he is the future at quarterback, but he's, I think, been putting himself in good position. And I've heard people say, well, you know, maybe retire is going to come in next year and there'll be some type of competition. And that is certainly possible. But I think we also know that there's a big difference between someone coming in as a true freshman and someone that's got a couple years of experience. And if this is all said and done and Tanner Mordecai doesn't come back, Braden Locke will have started what? eight games, nine games, something like that. Um, what is this? I don't know, six, seven games. I wasn't a math major. Either way, I think uh, he's doing some really good things right now that he can build on for the future, and, and maybe he will be the guy long-term here at Wisconsin. Who starts with an opportunity for four more in the regular season and then potentially a bowl game? So, yeah, yeah seven. seven. There you go. Assuming Tanner doesn't come back, uh, which I don't think is a is a given. Unless um, they go to the Big Ten Championship, Zach, which, as it. we all know well, I've, we're not we're not talking about that today. Uh, that's, they're that's, all three and two. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, Chris says, despite the loss and only ten points, best game they've played all season. Is he crazy for thinking that? Not crazy. I mean, the Purdue game was pretty good. Um, I know defensively they had some issues, but it, it's hard to deny the three touchdown drives to open that game. But I mean, defensively, yeah, I think so. I. I I know I said going in, they had to play the best game they've played all year and the best game they've played in years to have a chance. They they brought it. I mean, the execution wasn't always there, obviously, but I don't necessarily disagree with that statement because they played great for had a great fourth quarter against Illinois. Yeah, Wasn't great before. And all these other games, you can go up and down the list. Ah, They played a great third quarter. They played a great second half, but they were only up 14-10 against Buffalo. Somehow it's 7-7 at halftime against Georgia Southern. They're they're losing by multiple scores to Washington State. So there's really only a handful of games to pick from. And uh, so I'm inclined to go with, yeah, this was maybe the best all-around performance that they've had, even though it it wasn't enough. Buckmaster says, is the inability to set the edge all year more of a personnel or scheme issue? And I think he's... I think it's... Talking yeah. about the the runs to that Johnson had around the edge. Yeah. They got them. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, I think personnel has to be a factor here. I mean, you and I have seen sometimes the the middle linebackers in particular struggle with speed in the edges. And they they ran basically the same play to Johnson four times. He had four carries for 29 yards, average seven carries and or, or seven yards per carry. So they clearly saw something on film that they thought they could take advantage of. I mean, the scheme thing, it's harder for me to say because, I, again, I'm, I'm not in on the meetings, right? But we do see those situations where somebody gets in a, a bit of a pickle on the edge and they get beat and uh, it happens more than once. So it's probably a little of both, but you need the personnel to be able to make those kinds of plays. You do. You do. Uh, Josh says there seems to be a dramatic difference in the number of drop passes when Locke is the quarterback. Is it the location of the passes or velocity or just a lack of focus by the receivers? Has there been a dramatic difference? I, I don't like know. We were you, talking about you, drops early. You have the numbers. I, I, I Well, yes. I mean, I, the, the, the drops that stand out to me early were some of the passes down the field to mm-hmm. Sky the Bell. So without going back and looking at it, you 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 uh you listed some of the the numbers there i don't know right. how recent those numbers are or if they're something that have just popped up in the last what two and a half games so man i, I wish i had the right? time to go and yeah no i get it i get it i get it this down i, I mean get it. 
I, I think, a, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, and I, I don't think these are fully accurate because you and I have seen and talked about certain situations where we would call it a drop and it hasn't been credited as a drop here. But again, since these are the numbers that I have, I mentioned that Skyler's got what pro football focus registers as six drops. And it says four of those have happened in the last two games. So two against Illinois, two against Ohio State. And we know that Locke was the starter there. Some of it may be coincidence. There are also some situations where Locke delivers it with a lot of pace. But again, it goes back to the wide receivers needing to make a play. And there have been too many situations where they haven't. To me, this isn't a pace issue where like, oh gosh, he needs to take something off of it. It felt like he needed the pace on it. You know what I mean? Like the the pass on, uh, was it third and was it third and eight, third and seven? Yeah, to Bell um, on the right sideline. Yeah, and that last uh, one of the last few drives when it was still, I think it was still a seventeen to ten game. Yep. And he put it right where he needed to be, and it. And I know maybe Skyler was thinking about what he needed to do to try and reach it across the, the the, uh, the first down marker to get it. But you got to make the catch first. Doesn't matter if you if <laughs> doesn't matter if you don't make the catch. If uh, like it doesn't matter where you are on the field if you don't make the catch. You got to make the catch, and then you put yourself in maybe a, a third and or a fourth and short, and it makes it something that you can actually go for as opposed to having to to punt it away. And then there was a there was one later on. I think that might have been after Ohio State took a uh took the lead at 24 to 10. He had one on the other sideline and I think that may have been the the end of his his night. But those are plays you have to make especially when you're um a guy that has played as much football as he has over the last 2 years. And I don't care I don't care who the quarterback is. You got to make the play. Those were those were easy, not easy passes, easy passes to catch, but they're catches that if you're a Division One wide receiver and Skyler Bell has shown himself to be that, that you have to make. So, um, what else we got here? Will was uh, a lot. Of, oh, actually, a lot of people wondering about that, Jesse, about whether he puts too much mustard on it. Am I am I wrong there? I I don't know. I'd have like. Like Braden would say after the game, I need to go back and rewatch the film. Okay. Um, Rob says, not a question, but he thinks Jackson Aker needs more credit. Not a game breaker, but does well to keep moving. Pass pro catching out of the backfield. Downgrade from Braylon for sure, but converted fullback is overdone. Was recruited as a running back. Also needs also need more speed on the defensive edge for run D as, as much as pass rush. Would you agree that uh, Jackson Aker needs more credit? Maybe. I mean, he is who he is, and that is it's more than serviceable, but there is a market drop-off between a guy. I mean, look, they were going to come in and have perhaps the best one-two running back tandem in the country this year with Braylon and Chez, and that's not what Jackson Aker is. That doesn't mean he can't be successful, but he is very versatile. I give him credit for that. They targeted him five times, and while they were all on short throws, he caught all five passes. He had 20 receiving yards, and you you add that to the 34 yards he had rushing on nine carries, he's he's adding. And I think we did give him praise a couple games ago when he had to go in there, and he was showing his physicality. I mentioned there was a, a pass that he caught in the left flat against the team a few weeks ago, and he lowered his shoulder and, and knocked the DB over. So he's got that skill set. I think it's just challenging when you're looking at who Wisconsin had before. And if your expectation is that it's going to be seamless and there's not going to be a drop off. Well, I know the players would say that that's just challenging. And that that's, again, that's no knock on Jackson. Like I have been very impressed with what he's done when he has come in, but you're, we're talking about a guy who <laughs> rushed for 3000 career yards here. And, and Ches Malusi, who, as Phil Longo said, was the most explosive player they had on offense. And it's hard to match up. We definitely agree. Uh, Mike says he never saw practices, but he listened and read how Locke knew the offense better than others. Now mm-hmm. he sits Now he sits there wondering why did the Badgers go with Mordecai thinking he was a one-year deal? Where would the team be now had Locke played more earlier? Mm, I don't mm, that, like, I don't, it was never in question is the thing. I it's, I don't know. That's a that's a tough one. I don't know that they would be. You would say they'd be in better position, presumably because Locke would have played all season and wouldn't be adjusting here at midseason. But Mordecai was clearly the number one guy. I mean, I know that statistically it didn't show up a ton early in the season in terms of big numbers, but the experience was invaluable. The leadership was invaluable. His mobility is something that Locke didn't have, and he delivered a ton of big plays and throws and practices. So 
to, to me, it was just, it's, it was never in question. You think expectations for Braden Locke were so low that people are now, oh gosh. Look yeah, I do in part. Um, because you look at go, the numbers, go look at the numbers. They're not great. Yeah, I go, well, I go back to what I wrote about way back in the spring and certainly the the start of this season or even before the season began, like people were so excited about Tanner Mordecai coming here. Braden Locke, frankly, was an afterthought. He was the third of the three transfer quarterbacks. People were way more excited about Nick Evers. Now that may have been in part because he was the first one to come on board and people were thinking like, oh my God, Wisconsin got a, the type of quarterback that it never used to get. And top people- 10 quarterback, Top 10 right. quarterback in the class. Right. People thought, and I, I was among these people. I, I kind of assumed that, well, look at all this athletic talent. Look at the accolades. He's going to come in and vie for the backup job. And much like I was, I mean, this is different. It was never even close. Braden was number two. Evers, you know, was fighting to be the fourth guy. So, but Braden was the third of three. And by that time, I think people were just kind of like, all in on the other two quarterbacks, but you're right. The, the stats haven't been great, but I also think there's something to be said for, for acknowledging that he's a retro freshman. And then these are his really first real college snaps. So I don't think he's, you know, especially the Ohio state game, like he's not the reason they lost. And I think we've seen there have been seasons or games where the quarterback was so poor, um, that you're just like, my God, you know, is there anybody better? And Braden has made some big time plays that make you go, Oh, you know, if he can do that right now as a redshirt freshman, what could he be in the future? Jay says, will the poor offensive performances all year adversely impact the program's ability to get the championship level long-term? Didn't they need this year to be great in order to get momentum in recruiting and outside the fan base? Currently no one outside UW thinks of UW momentum is lost. Well, I thought they needed this year just to establish that the plan that Fickle was putting together was working to build momentum. But I would not say that what's happened this year will prevent Wisconsin from being able to go out and get people. You look at the recruiting class in 2024 as it stands at this point, it's been a top 25 type class. Now, it may not end up that when some of the big boy programs get their guys later in the recruiting cycle. But I also think this is something that coaches can sell to people. And maybe this is more transfer portal type thing. But what do you sell? You sell, hey, we haven't been able to achieve this. You come in here and you be that guy. I know Wisconsin in previous years has sold that to players and they've come in and haven't necessarily been that guy. But I think that's appealing. Wisconsin is still a Big Ten program. It is still a reasonably successful program. I mean, I know it's not at the level that fans want and certainly not this staff and these players want, but I believe that the Badgers have a lot to sell. And I don't think that a year where Wisconsin goes eight and four, should the Badgers end up like that, will ruin the potential momentum for the future. Yeah, and I know we've probably talked about this a little bit before, but if you're going into this offseason knowing what you know about the offense right now, knowing about the personnel that you have at this time and, and and that they have coming in recruiting wise, where are you attacking? If you are attacking the transfer portal, is it, is it gotta be, I mean, I, I think again, you're bringing in three running backs as it stands. We don't mm-hmm. know that all three of those guys will end up coming. Uh, Wisconsin, you know, the receiving room certainly has some bodies there. They're relatively young in the wide receiver room. You know, Jim, Jim Ray is the only one that, is a senior in that room. And um, I, I feel like, and again, I know they're bringing in Grant stack at tight end. I feel yeah. like, I feel like you could add guys at all three of those spots. And then even, you know, quarterback, if you, if you find a guy that you really, really like. I think everything is in play here. Frankly, this has been a disappointing season. Every staff owes it to the program to explore the portal and find guys that not only you think will fit, but could be potential game changers. And that's really what Wisconsin is looking for here at this stage. I mean, it's nice to be able to build depth. I think that's what year one certainly was about at wide receiver and and quarterback. And they knew they needed to have 11, 12 scholarship wide receivers in order to be able to play the rotations they wanted to play. But you do have a year in the system. You see what worked. You see what didn't. You know your personnel much better. And I do think that now you look at it and say, like, let's go get the very best people that we can get to elevate this offense. And and realize we're talking specifically about offense. You 
will do the same thing defensively, especially maybe on the defensive line. But you need the playmakers at tight end. Grant Stack, I think, has great potential. I mean, is he going to come in as a true freshman and, and be dominant? That is asking a lot, even though he uh, has great athleticism and playmaking ability. But I think every position every year has got to be open to who is available in the portal. And that's part of the challenge here right now is for the most part, unless you're Keontes Lewis or a handful of other guys, you don't know who's going to be available. So you have no idea what kind of talent you'll have, what kind of connections you have from recruiting them previously. And that's why it makes the offseason so exciting. Yeah, you have no idea who's going to be available and you have no idea who's going to be leaving as well. Exactly, because you're going to lose some people after this season. It's just what happens now in college football. And I think they'll be okay with some of them too. Like, and I, it's not that they want to run guys off. That's that's not the case. We kind of saw that last year. They tried to keep everybody they possibly could, but there are going to be guys that leave as well, and some some that you don't want to leave, some that you do want to leave. That's just the way that college football is. We're going to end with this one, Jesse. Badger yeah. Local says, looking at the last four games, how does Wisconsin match up? How many do you think they win? And do you think the Badgers will win the Big Ten West? Their their final four games are at Indiana, home to Northwestern, home to Nebraska, and then at Minnesota to close out the year. They will be favored in all four of those games. How many are they actually going to win? At minimum, I'm saying three. Um, it's really it's really hard right now to say. Um, <laughs> their offense just hasn't been consistent enough for me to say they're going to go win all of them. I mean, I know you made a noise, so maybe they go two and two, but like all of these teams are totally mediocre and they all feel like a coin flip. So. I, I don't know. I maybe I should reserve my answer until I we know the status of Braylon Allen. Like I don't know what Luke will say, but if he says he's not going to be available the rest of the season, <laughs> uh, that's going to be. And it, I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but yeah, I, I just feel like all of these teams are so mediocre. Northwestern and Nebraska are coming to Camp Randall. Northwestern is is not good, and yet somehow overcame a three touchdown deficit to beat Minnesota. So and Indiana at least. Yeah, and Indiana hung tough with Penn State. So, but I don't know. I mean, if they go two and two, that's another, that's a seven and five. I don't know. Anything's possible. Let me just end on that. Yeah. I mean, we can. Uh, I think it's perfectly possible, absolutely possible that they win all four and they lose all four. Yep. Well, I, I feel like Look, they're closer to winning all four than losing all four, but maybe that's, that's just because that's, I don't want to cover a five and seven team. Well, and that's and that's completely fine. But I'm saying in terms of what they have offensively, if they don't have Braylon Allen, they don't have Ches Melissa, they don't have Tanner Mordecai, we'll see what happens with Chim. You're telling me that offense you feel comfortable. I mean, the offense with those guys wasn't exactly as you've pointed out a number of times, blowing things up. Where I, <laughs> I, I will I, I will say, I will say I, I do think the defense has made strides. But they've also, as I mentioned earlier, given up at least 200 yards. Take the take the sack stats out of it. Given up at least 200 yards to four of the five Big Ten teams that they play. That to me is astounding after what they've been run defense wise these last 10 years. And you know, Indiana and Nebraska and Northwestern and in Minnesota are going to see that and be like, we're going to do the exact same thing. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday to to chat about what these guys have to say. We'll talk about the Braylon Allen injury, see how long he is going to be out, if at all, and uh, then look ahead to Thursday night back at Monks in some prairie. Uh, Jesse, sorry for the, the length here to keep you so long. I know you're a very busy guy, but I appreciate your time. Got to give the people what they want. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.